Okay, back in Arizona. Wow, kind of crazy. So this is the first buddy walk in 18 days. The sun is up. It is not too late in the morning. It's uh, Right now it's 74 degrees Fahrenheit. This is a good time. It's going up to 103 today. And it's 18% humidity, so it's kind of dry, you know. Dew point is, I have to punch that in there, but I'm sure it's low. And it's 74 degrees. It doesn't matter too much, so that's all good. So it is June 20th, and it is um, about quarter to seven in the morning, 6.42. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So Bud's back. He's excited to see us. We got in last night at... Um, about seven o'clock at night, almost 24 hours traveling. We had that long layover in Heathrow, so we could have made it tighter, about 20 weeks or so, or 20 hours or so. But it was nice to have the break. Heathrow was fine, relaxing. And we paid a little extra for some exit row seats on the 747, which was really nice because you get that leg room for, I'm 6'5", so I, I need that. Cameron's tall and Chris had a extra leg room too. And uh, right behind us was this Indian couple that were kind of squeezed behind us. It's just so narrow on these seats. So pay the pay the little pay an extra hundred bucks or something for exit row. You feel a lot better. So yeah, we arrive in the evening. So the the mind and the adjustment of time is going to be interesting. So I, I just crashed at like nine o'clock at night, but then woke up at twelve thirty. So three hours sleep. Um, Watched a little, uh, my favorite show is The Five with the uh, comedy. So I haven't really watched it in 18 days. I probably don't want to get too much in the habit of that again. So the nice thing about this trip is it kind of jolts your uh, routines, right? You, especially on a two-week-plus trip, jolt us out of the uh, routine here. So it's a beautiful morning. The sky is blue as usual. And, uh, yeah, all kinds of thoughts, of course. But uh, yeah, I watched about an hour of TV from 12.30 to 1.30, went back to bed, two o'clock, woke up about 5.30, not knowing where I was. So that's the other oddity is with all the traveling. I don't, I don't know if it's traveling, it's a combination of traveling plus being over 50 years old, I think. <laughs> so, and having all these experiences of being in different places. So yeah, I woke up at 5.30, I was like, okay, where am I? Am I in... Germany, France, Munich, Berlin, where, what, hotel room? Oh, I'm in my own room. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I haven't been here in a few weeks. So. Hey, good morning. Some uh, early morning, morning walkers here on Thursday. So that's what we do here in Phoenix. So, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I learned about myself. I'm pretty extroverted and talk to people, so the... Uh, and I like to have a few beers to help try to get myself to sleep on the airplane. So, you know, I'm making my runs back to the the galley, as they say. So it was a actually a German, a young German woman, and uh, from Stuttgart. But she, and yeah, so I don't know if what her story exactly was. I didn't didn't dive too deep into that. But uh, yeah, she lives in London now. Flies for British Airways. So we we she was pleased that. Uh, you know, they asked, uh, so did you spend time in England? Of course, that's a natural assumption when you're in Heathrow. And it's kind of like, nope, we actually didn't spend. <laughs> Sorry, no time in England. 
mostly Germany and France. So then the German gal was pretty excited about to hear that. So different culture, obviously different language, but the culture's not too far off. I mean, it's European, right? So yeah, yeah. So I like the German thing. So we spoke a little German and they're young, younger people, probably in their early twenties in one of their earlier jobs in their life. And it's kind of fun for them. Yeah, they're uh, first time to Arizona. So they, they basically get 12 hours and they got to fly back. So it's kind of a tough job in a way. It's a little bit like being a nurse in a way. But most of the people are not sick, fortunately, in the plane. So they got almost 12 hours on and 12 hours off, come back and do it again. I'm sure when they get back to England, they have another break for a couple of days. But they're going to climb, they're climbing Camelback Mountain, it's called. That's what they, they research. So they usually, they said they usually wake up at like three or four in the morning as well. And I said, well, it'll be dark here because of the time. It's not as light here because we're pretty far south. So, but I think they, yeah, they probably made the climb. And it's a good morning for it. And uh, so late June, not too bad. Not too bad. So July will be July, August, part of September. So this kind of broke the summer up for us nicely, you know, because otherwise it's that uh, boiling the frog, boiling the water, the frogs in the pot. Doesn't notice it's getting really, really hot till later. And then, but we got a break, so we're out. And uh, yeah, early observations are don't know where I am, you know. Where am I? I'm back, back here in Phoenix walking Bud. Bud's excited to see us last night. His hair's a little longer. He's getting that thick, not thick, but just uh, longer hair um, look, which is kind of fun. Makes him look bigger than he is. <laughs> yeah, and he's excited to get out. It's not too hot right now. So we had good support. Christine, my wife's uh, mother, stayed at the house. I'm sure she enjoyed that. It's a little bit, it's about 30 minutes from where she lives, but uh, this way she just kind of relaxed and was at the house and took care of Bud. And uh, so this morning already we've had some German coffee that we brought over from Tomas. So he's been running a coffee business for 20 years in Germany. And, it's a very interesting, different business culture too. He's, he and his brother have built this uh, high quality, high end roasted coffee. And they, don't, they don't have a coffee shop, they just sell to other coffee shops and that works in Germany because you know they don't have so many Starbucks. They do have Starbucks, but they have a lot more of hotels and high end things. And the price point is not bad. I mean, they pay a little bit extra for his coffee, but he has about, I want to say 200 customers. I think he sells 110,000 kilos of coffee a year, which is quite a bit. And uh, nice business. So yeah, I've been, we've been talking to him. He, he would come over here on vacation and we would talk about the business, but at least this time we were able to go visit and see the business in a little town called Linsengericht. Little town not too far from Biba. Biba Gemunde. Bieber heißt das. Bieber is spelled just like Justin Bieber. 
<laughs> so I got a kick out of that. Justin Bieber. But there's a little tiny town in Germany called Bieber. And uh, beautiful little green area. So we stayed there an extra day. And we got to see, spend some time with coffee. I, had, I don't know if I mentioned, I had like five espressos in like an hour. So it really had me wired up one day. And uh, not all the same, like different versions of it, just pure espresso. And then a, he called it a macchiato or something like that. A little bit of cream. And of course, they have all these fancy machines. Like we were looking at them as like uh, some new Italian machine. No, Swiss. A Swiss machine for like $30,000, maybe $25,000. And you don't need a barista then. He says this is... 95% better than any barista, just automatic, fully automatic machine for 25 grand. But, you know, in certain places, if you can do the volume of business, you know, maybe 100 drinks a day or some whatever the math works out, it's worth it, right? You spend 25 grand in a location and you just crank out hundreds of drinks. It's not bad. So, um, yeah, there's machines, there's... The main thing is the, the roasting the beans and the, the blend and the way they do it. And it, it does taste very nice, mild. Of course, they know that French have a different taste, Italians have a different taste. So it's more oriented towards German chase, taste. But as Thomas says, he thinks the American taste is more similar to uh, German taste. So that's a good thing. So, we, yeah, we talk strategies of, like, where it would fit, whether you do it in Sedona, Arizona, which is nice. I mean, there's so many Europeans that go to the Grand Canyon, and they struggle to find a good cup of coffee, right? So you can market it that way. So this is, this is drifting into tequila and sunshine business talk. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So... Bud, you're out here having a good walk, yeah? I have to get back in the routine myself. Okay, let's go, bud. Come on. What are you doing? You sniffing something there? What do you got? This is a little bit late for snake season, but there's no, there's no snakes out here right now. But, of course, it's really bright now. I did leave my sunglasses in Martin Luther's church somewhere, museum, right there, so... There's a German expression for Berlin. It's like, ich habe einen Koffer in Berlin gelast or something. Ich habe einen, ich habe einen Koffer in Berlin. So I left my suitcase in Berlin. So now I've got my own saying. I left my son in Berlin. Ich habe meinen Son in Berlin in Wittenberg gelast. Or something like that. I left, my, I left my sunglasses in Berlin. And for Arizona, I really need sunglasses. So I'm probably going to have to add that expense onto the trip. Not that I'm Mr. Accounting. I have terrible accounting methods. But hey, I'm learning strengths. It's not my strengths, accounting. <laughs> Budgeting. Finance. So why fight it? Why develop that strength? No, I, I, have, to, I have to do something. But uh, Yeah, yeah. Abundance. Abundance. Let's think abundance. So I'll be getting some new... <laughs> I'll have to be getting some new sunglasses somehow. And, uh, you know, I, who knows, I may have lucked into um, some kind of insurance because I just bought them in January, so it's not even, it's about six months. I don't know, maybe, we'll see how flexible these guys are. They're pretty friendly. 
the sunglass place. And my eyes, you know, shoot. My eyes are uh, different. And they actually have a training program for eyes. I didn't realize this. I have never done it. I've known about it for about 10 years. That I could actually improve my eyesight and reduce the prescription amount by doing some training for your eyes. And since I've, uh, oh, by the way, yeah, I weighed myself for the first time in 18 days. And so I had a fear of about 10 pound increase. And I was thinking, oh gosh, no exercise. I only did it once. I had one run in Berlin. That was it. And um, I was fearful, like, oh gosh, I was eating all this deftigus essen, which is hearty meals. Um, like uh, schnitzel Wiener Art. Schnitzel Jäger art, I avoided that one. Schnitzel this, Schweinhaxe that, lots of potatoes and things. But, uh, and of course beer, that's probably not good for your <coughs> weight, right? So, um, yeah, I only put on six pounds. Went from 211 to 217, so I gotta get that down. I might be able to get that down in a week with some serious focus. You know, but I need to get back to the gym, and I've got time for that because I don't have a job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no job, man. No, I got uh, my my best opportunity probably is uh, GE. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Boston could be could be the next move. Of course, I I don't know. We'll see. I I'm I've you know we got coffee ideas. We've got uh, my this book I've been working on, turning that into some kind of business thing too so um yeah and i think i mean i really the this book i mean for me uh, it was interesting meeting eric metaxas in berlin i'm I was really kind of bummed that i've been listening to his podcast the last since he got back from germany and he ran into chris christopherson i'm so bummed because it's like i would have thought that uh Meeting a fan on Unter den Linden would have, you know, caused some kind of commentary on the podcast, you know? Like, hey, some fan saw me and shouted me out on Unter den Linden, and I'm just looking for some love on the podcast, and I'm not getting it. And, you know, he ran into Chris Christofferson, bumped me from his Berlin experience, you know? And uh, so I'll work on Eric, huh? <laughs> Like we're real buds now, but he he should remember me. There's an English guy named Michael Ward, that uh, some kind of theologian, no relation, of course, just a common name. And I'm on the Irish side, so we probably wouldn't get along anyway. So UK and uh, yeah, I think the UK is subtly like pretty bad people. They don't, you know, they get away with all kinds of stuff. Like really, the slave trade. Like we got the political whoop de doo right now in the U.S. is all this reparations talk and, and uh, you know, where's England and all that? You know, where's the U.K.? They're the ones who brought the ship over. And, you know, people talk about prison reform. My little political diversion right now is the prison reform, you know, trying to, like, reduce marijuana um, penalties for users, like don't put people in prison because they use marijuana and stuff. And, I someone pointed out that this analogy doesn't work real well, but hey, man, I'm going with it. Which is the American people in the South, they they didn't ask for slaves. I mean, they were just brought to them by the English. And on top of that, 
the English would go to Africa and other African tribes would sell out their own people. So, you know, it's kind of like they grew the marijuana in Africa and brought it to the U.S. and, you know, sold the, the pot. And now you want to punish the, the users. But I know that's not going to be a popular argument. But and, and it's just to me, it's just let's just soften that rhetoric. You know, it's like, let's move on. Can we move on? <laughs> that's the other thing is like, man, oh, man, are people... It's this entitlement. I have to fight it myself. So why, where do we get this entitlement? I mean, we know that this is just going to... What, what, what good does it do to just, like, throw a few bucks at people? we got to... It's the old teach people to fish. And they'll eat for a lifetime. If you give them a fish, they just eat for a day. So it's... Uh, I don't know what it is. I have to apply it to myself, too, right? I have to... What's my thing? be the captain of my ship thing or whatever it's where's where can I add value turn value into something and then abundance thinking says that well you know there's growth there's people add a value and giftedness so where's the gifts again so so it's been about 18 days since I've been out to this location this is where the freeway is being built and there's a sound barrier wall being constructed and uh we're hoping that there's going to be some kind of walk path for buds. We can just walk them around, which I, I think they'll do, but it's not obviously not priority when you got a freeway to be built. So the freeway is looking good, making progress. Probably be, uh, you know, maybe 12 more months or so before it really is fully functional. In six months, it'll probably be really good. But uh, as of now, we're, we're not quite there yet. So, Bud, you want to walk around? Should we do a little off-road in here? I don't mind doing the off-road today. Let's do a little long walk. Oh, Budge. So, um, yeah, that wall's looking pretty good. Nice and high. So we'll see. We don't know what the sound is going to be like. Because there's no traffic right now. There's construction noise in the background. But um, this is supposedly going to be like a Phoenix bypass to go to Los Angeles. So it'll be like uh, if you're in Tucson or Texas and you want to come up near Phoenix. I, I mean, there's other ways to get to Los Angeles. You could go, if you're in Texas, you could go to this Interstate 8, which is really not a bad interstate. So I don't know why you'd want to come up all the way to Phoenix. Um, although it does get you on the 10, which takes you into L.A. from the east. So you, if you took the 8 from Tucson over to San Diego area, you still have to come into L.A. from the south. So there'll probably be some natural divisions there. Because Riverside, Corona, some eastern industrial parts of L.A. probably need a lot of goods shipped in and shipped out. So they'll probably be taking this route. The guys are building a nice wall here. So what's amazing is right now I see there's one, two, three, four, five guys building a nice wall. And that'll be finished. Looks like a pretty nice design. It's way up there. And uh, we have to come back and film this. But... Um, yeah, it'll be in there for the next 40 years or something. Build 
That's how structures are, especially when you go to Europe and see all these old buildings. I mean, they go a couple hundred years, but yeah, they need maintenance and stuff. But just think of the the, the men and women that build these. Uh, Okay, coyote over here. All right. No worries. We're used to the coyotes. They usually are afraid of us. You know? With the guy helped us out. There's a coyote over here. Wow. Oh, here's Bud wants to get out. He's ready to get out. So now we're on the other part of this uh, walkway. Ah! And... Uh, back on the sidewalk but uh, we have coyote warnings which after 12 years living here yeah we kind of know the coyotes and they run away from you they're kind of fun it's the snakes that I'm concerned about <laughs> snakes snakes bud there's a rabbit oh yeah a rabbit and uh, yeah just I don't know, less than 48 hours ago, we were walking along the Rhine River, and that, I tell you, the water in that river was running fast. Comes all the way from the Alps and heads to the north. A little different flow pattern than the U.S., where most of our rivers go north to south. But, uh, oh, a little doggy. So the Rhine River was beautiful, walking along there. And, uh, my wife's aunt, which is my wife's mother's sister, the only two sisters left from the World War II era, lived through it. Not such a great experience, right? And uh, Dusseldorf and uh, Maria was there, the cousin. She's the Tante Kiki's daughter. She's interesting and brought her son, Felicia. Felicia, because she married a Italian guy named Giovanni, which I learned was uh, Italian for John. I didn't know that. So in Savinia Platz in Berlin, I had a at the Zwölf Apostolen, which is the one of Cameron's my son's favorite stories. Is I was looking for this pizza place called the Twelve Apostles because they have a different pizza for each of the uh, apostles. Of course, Judas has the salami and strong flavor but I had I decided well I'll try Giovanni because John's becoming my my favorite disciple and hey what the heck if it's Jesus favorite disciple why shouldn't it be good enough for us right <laughs> so I'm becoming convinced that John is really underrated in so many ways and in my one of my main themes in the book is the the last words of Jesus in John, the Gospel of John, they're so wonderful if you read them completely, right? And a lot of people will just say, oh, look, oh, Peter was restored by Jesus. It was so wonderful. And yet, right after that, you'll see that Peter was restored, but immediately after that, he kind of blows his restoration. But usually pastors don't want to talk about that. It's weird. So that's where probably one of my major themes in this book is, is, is the taking ownership over your, your spiritual views and the going from reformation to personal transformation. 
so we all transform ourselves but you know it's the same it's very it's that's the scary thing is it's very similar to what people say which is like oh yeah get in the word spend time in the word but no one really tells you like how to do it or what works but it's just this assumption like oh yeah spend time in the word but i and, and then they give you study guides or you can do a k arthur study and study a specific book or something you know, I'll go all Philip. You know, let's look. Let's go deep dive on Philippians or something. Which is, it's okay, right, to do these things. I'm not saying they're bad, but really the overview—that's that, one of my other concepts—is what is the message of the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, it, and and also this whole fascination with knowing Greek and Hebrew and all these things. You know, is it? Did I can't, if you think about it, do you think God really made things? that should be that complicated that you'd have to know Greek and Hebrew and stuff like that. Sure, there's little nuances and little things you might get out of it. But for the most part, the, he came at a time when people couldn't read, right? I mean, we, from our perspective in 2019, we, are, we have this perspective, and, and a lot of us do, it's like that everything is the same as it always was. You know, or we just have the last 20 years of history and that's all we focus on, you know, like, well, it happened in the last 20 years, you know, or the last 30 years or what happened in your lifetime. And God's got to be bigger than that, right? So what was he doing? He came at a time when people couldn't read. There wasn't a lot of knowledge. Sure, there was power in politics and, you know, just brute force. And there was uh, German... Well, no, I mean, the Roman Empire, of course. You had the Greeks and these things. It all, it all happened, and he came at that time. And, and uh, you know, some of these things that Paul says, and this is where I, I guess I'll write about that. This is, this is probably thought of as being heretical in a way, but I don't think it is. I'm saying it is, yeah, Word of God, First Timothy, Titus. Paul's at the end of his life. Put it in context. It's not, I think, too much of the church especially Protestantism. They love to pluck the verses out and say, look, look, it says women can't teach in the church, women can't be pastors. And I'm like, okay, fine. I don't Maybe nobody should be pastor. <laughs> what, what, what Paul described as a pastor these days in 2019, maybe nobody should, you know? And maybe now with the advancement, Paul couldn't foresee this. I mean, he... He makes comments in his own writings like, hey, I'm not lying, people. So he didn't have a perspective that what he was writing was inerrant or that it was inspired by God. That was put on him after these letters are written. So I'm not debating whether this, I'll go. Yeah, scriptures are inerrant. They're inspired by God. Great. But that doesn't mean you pluck verses out and say, okay, you know, First Timothy 3, 7. You know, always, you're always learning, Michael, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, what an insult that was. That was hilarious. So I'm going to have to, you know, texting and emailing this guy isn't working. So I'll have to meet him in person and uh, sit down and talk to him and say, so what are you really communicating in this text? Because it really looks way off base, dude. So, you know, and... I, I don't know. I'm not really surprising for me. I'm not trying to win an argument, I guess you'd say. I'm just saying, I'm just pointing out. It's like, really? Is this, what do you really mean by this, you know? 
And that's part of the problem with the Twitter culture and the texting and this and that. It's about the great relationship with God and, and our relationships with people. Right? How do we relate to people? And man, I don't have it figured out. It's like, let's have some humility. I'm not saying I'm, I don't even, it's like I'm, I don't even want to be a teacher in a way. It's like, because being a teacher implies all this, 99% of the teaching these days is all about, hey, this is what the Bible says, and this is how you need to apply it to your life. And I don't, I don't know if that's so valid. I think it's bigger than that. I think it's, hey, you read it, you figure it out. Because God and the Holy Spirit, it says, look at the message again. What is the message? That there's a living God. And um, it's, it's bigger than the Bible. You know, that's, that's where people, you know, the, the people that claim heretical thing would be like, oh, no, you, you, it's not, everything was written. It's, don't add to these words. Well, I don't think I am adding to these words. What, what part of living God is adding to the words, right? So as God and his Holy Spirit, he said he would come and that we would do greater things than these. So, so you know, if you, whatever minor thing. And, and also we think that what's presented in the acceptable church organizations is doing something grandiose. Like, oh, I went to, to South Africa and helped with this and helped the village, which is good. It's great. But... Uh, that's not for everybody, and I think that's the message that's missing. Every time we have these great examples of service, people serving, they might be on a different part of their journey. And then, you know, some people go, oh, journey, you use the word journey, like it's, you're some new age dude or whatever. And it's, it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know. I'm just saying it's more, how about, okay, let's use the word sanctification, right? That's a biblical term, and it's, and it's growing and maturing in Christ. And uh, yeah, so my, one of my pet peeves is the Great Commission, of course, and that's, that's why I like reading Paul so much because I'm like, okay, this is the dude that really started the Great Commission work. He took the gospel to the Gentiles, which my framework is they had it for the Jews, which is a very small population, right, which is... Even today, like 0.5% of the world population, if that. So Paul's taking it to the Gentiles. That's everybody else that's not Jewish, which is an amazing change in the history of Judaism and really the reason for everything, this whole part of the whole story. And, uh, and Paul's not... I, I really find it hard to find a place where he's like, Dudes, dudes, you've got to, you know, we've got to do the Great Commission, man. You, you, gotta, you guys have to do it. Even if you look at First, First Second Timothy, it's more about depth in that particular church. You'd think if, if Paul was all about, oh, we got to take this message to the end of the earth, that that, that would show up in First and Second Timothy. So in the last, his last words are written, or letters, right? But it's not there. And... What is there is some kind of weird stuff about women not, you know, covering their heads in church, which the same people that beat down on the, uh, the Bible verses um, will just kind of conveniently like go, oh, well, yeah, women don't have to cover their heads. That's, yeah, even though Paul, 
probably writes about four verses on that, I think four or five. And, and yet, you know, it's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, two verses that dominate the organized religious industry, the, the religious media complex, or whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> Everything's focused on the Great Commission because it's a money generator. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're not doing enough for the Great Commission, man. You got to go give, you know, we got to send, send missionaries, you know, short-term, short-term missionaries, send them, yeah. The benefits are so great because, you know, 40 kids building water wells, like some of them will turn into like the next Lottie Moon or something, or it's just looking back and it's all hype in a way. And what we need to be hyping is the great relationship that every person has um, an opportunity to focus in on a Holy Spirit relationship with God. So that's where we're at. Now, Bud's in the shade here. Are you hot, Bud? What do you want to do, Bud? you want to just plop down here? I can't tell. This is not where you normally walk, Bud. So here comes a nice Mercedes from Stuttgart, possibly. Unless it's only a 300 series, which... You know, I, I got to take a look and see because I'm a Mercedes snob. So, uh, looks like a 300E. Well, E300 might be Stuttgart, or it might be South Africa. You know, and uh, the best cars are Stuttgart, of course. You know, and I have these. I'm uh, now I'm going on a tangent with my car. So, my car has sat for 18 days, and I have pressurized shocks, air pressure. And there's a pump inside the uh, vehicle. So when you run the car, the pump pressurizes the um, pressurizes the, the suspension slash strut slash I don't know what. But, you know, it's my, right now, since there's been no air pressure in the car for 18 days, <laughs> the whole frame of the car is sunk. So now when I start the car, I can't just, like, take off. I'm kind of hoping that it corrects itself rather easily. And that I have no problem, because it doesn't look drivable at the moment. But I think as soon as I turn the power on the car, it's going to jack up the uh, pressure on the four struts. Which, you know... Yeah, I'm sure the listeners really feeling sorry for me, you know, the Mercedes S550. <laughs> but it is a 2007, folks, so go get yourself a 12-year-old Mercedes S550. You can get it for less than 10000 bucks probably right now. See, so it's cheaper than a new Hyundai. That's always, I always say that. But it's a beautiful car. The S-Series, or the... That stands for Zondern Klasse. Zondern. Special class, man. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure all the high-end folks, they only drive them for four years, so... And then they got to get a new one. But that's not me, man. I'll, I'll take a 12-year-old car. Eight, eight 12-year-old. And uh, so back to the Great Commission. Yeah, and, and the Great Relationship. So... The GR, man, great relationship, not GC. And uh, John, 
back to John 21. I love it. And uh, restored, screwed up already. What is that to you? Jesus says, you follow me. Comparing, you know, because Peter's starting to compare himself to John, the beloved disciple, right? Who's writing the book, ironically, right? So, and then the, the, the kicker at the end of it all is John says, hey, you know, there's so many things that Jesus said and had done during those three years that John hung out with him. And, but these are only a few things that happened. And yet, out of all, so basically, you can interpret that inerrantly and inspired to say, wait a minute. So John could have written all kinds of things to end his gospel, but he chose to show Peter restored, but then fallen immediately, immediately falls into comparison to others, right? So don't do that. That's part of the great relationship is you don't compare yourself to anybody. You're uniquely gifted. You're, you're created in the image of God. We have eternal life, which starts now. So you are your person. It's hard because the church just seems so bent on conforming us to certain behaviors, trying to squeeze us. You know, even Paul says, don't let the world squeeze you into his mold. And it's like, man, sometimes the church just seems like it wants to squeeze people into a mold. And it's like, where is that coming from? It's like, they don't even realize. It's like, if I point, when I point that out to the guy, I was like, dude, here's a distribution curve. You're microculture here in Arizona microculture is saying that this is the acceptable behavior the boundary markers as John Orbrook says this is the microculture that's acceptable so you need to fit into that that's squeezing us into that middle and it's not I don't want to be there so many people realize it later that they don't want to be the middle the average what's that I mean it's like no be your outlier what is your gift what are you good at? Go beyond at the extremes and encourage other people to find their extremes, their gifts. There's even a, a thing called strength finders that uh, you can take a test and they have like 34 strengths. And obviously when you start mixing the combinations, that's a lot. You know, you know there's, there's uh, Myers-Briggs, which is basically has 16 categories. This has... 34 strengths and I'm sure other people can very well eloquently describe it the point is is that we're all different and you put these combinations you take the top five out of 34 there's like a lot of combinations of that so people aren't I also realize people can't if I was given a talk to engineering students in college it's like I can't tell them to like oh be like me because the choices I made over the last 30 years are unique to my situation and the world situation. So there's only, it was only one time the window opened where they put, I think it was August 31st of 1993, a full page ad showed up in the Arizona Republic to come fly the flag, you know, the European Union flag. And so I jumped at it to go do a gas turbine engine which ironically turned out to be really funny because it's like for super rich people. Like Jeff Bezos owns one. I'm not sure if, I think uh, Musk owns a plane with the German engines on there, but 
And I mentioned it to Metaxas, and he doesn't, he, I had to repeat it to him. It's 650 ER. And he's like, what's the ER stand for? Extended range. So I'm sure Eric in New York has some friends. And his daughter laughed when I said, well, just go out to White Plains. So apparently there's some kind of airport at White Plains, and I'm sure Eric's daughter has some rich friends. Maybe they went to some private school. I'm not stalking them or anything. I'm just making commentary, observations. But, you know, White Plains. There's like a lot of corporate jets there. Corporate jets are good. Rich people are good. Come on, bud. Gotta love the rich people, as I told Eric. It's like Jerry Maguire. Jerry loves black people because that's where the, the money is, right? The black athletes and football and stuff. <laughs> so, and it's not, it's not racist. It's just a commentary on what, what you see in a movie. So, yeah, let's love rich people. Why not? I mean, it created jobs for like 500 or 1,000 East Germans that got the wall shut down on them. And they had to change their lifestyle. So they made the most... <laughs> The irony is, you know, you could probably interview 500 or 1,000 former East Germans who had no control over whether the wall was coming down. And all of a sudden, boom, we're building the most expensive corporate jet engine right in your town. <laughs> I don't, and I, that is a great story that's mine to tell, I suppose. And uh, I, it's just fascinating. And uh, my friend Jens, I had a nice visit with Jens in Utah. And they're doing the German thing. It's very good for them. It's so it's different, you know, you talk about cultures, maybe this global culturalization. I mean, right now the dialogue is in US-centric diversity and crap, but you know, there's only 330 million of us and that's there's 7 billion people on the planet. So I would hope that someone would extend diversity outside the borders of the U.S., you know. Not that we want to bring every problem in the world into our own existence, but in fact, the Germans are probably better at handling it because they have a pretty tight system, whereas we have some very loosey-goosey systems here, and these loosey-goosey systems allow for a lot of variation and craziness, which is okay. Also a lot of freedom. And the Germans don't have so much freedom in that way. But then it also forces the people to assimilate a little better. I don't know if they are really doing that or not, but it is what it is. So it's been fun chatting this thing up, walking the bud. And it's uh, getting close to 80 degrees. It's going up to 100 and something today. So I don't know what the evening walk will be like tonight with Bud. It's Thursday. I was planning on having to work today, but hey, I'm freed from my job. I'm freed. <laughs> I, in some weird way, I kind of like think that, uh, you know, my previous job just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't good enough for me. Hey, bud, we're going to have to go over here, bud. Come on. Down this way. So, yeah, it's like I'm like, I feel like, well, this job that I just had turned out to be a nice big boost and took care of us for a year. And so, and it was all a gift. Um, I received it with gratitude and being dumped from it, I guess, with, with other people is like, well, 
That is what it is, man. So, um, so what's next? Something better is out there even than what I just had. And I, and then, and I have a little bit of relief in that because it's like, it's not a high, it's circuit cards. I know they're used everywhere, but you really have to push your imaginations to get excited about surface mounted technology. <laughs> so, I mean, they had some good technology coming, some cool stuff coming, but it's just not my thing. I don't know what's going to happen to it, but we'll see. I'm not going to be part of it. Do I have to be part of everything? Nah. Can they continue on? And why can I wish them success? Yes. I wish them all the success. And that's okay. So, part of growing older. So, we're, here we are. A few minutes from home. And then we'll uh, get back in the house. Have another cup of coffee from Tofe flavored. Toffee flavored coffee from Germany. Tastes pretty good. So, there you go. Are we all on a hero's journey now? Um, I suppose over, I've heard this expression for six years now, the hero's journey. And I suppose we all are. And that goes with the, uh, it's not new agey. I mean, it sounds new agey. And I guess what I'm coming to grips with is that the organized religious circles are always putting down other groups because it comes into that crab theory. I don't know if I talk about that. The crab theory is always, you can put a bucket of crabs in a, in a, well, no, you can take a bucket of crabs with like 10 crabs in there. And there's one dude, I got this from uh, a franchise reseller guy about becoming an entrepreneur. And it's like the crab mentality is everybody's in a bucket, crab, 10 crabs, and one crab's trying to get out of the bucket and get free. <laughs> and the other crabs don't like it, so they pull the dude back in. And they get more and more violent about it the more the crab wants to get out of the bucket. It's like everybody wants to stay in the bucket. And, uh, you know, this is the dangerous thing. Is like I'm, I know I'm repeating. That's not my original idea. I'm just repeating what I've heard. But I guess I'm packaging it in a certain way. So, so there we go. Everybody's back. We got bees out there, out on the rocks. So, good talk, good fun. Back in the swing of things. We'll see what, whatever the swing of things are. I don't know what that means for me next. Swing of things. And we did a 46 minute long walk with the bud, 47 minutes. So y'all, y'all, whether you're in Colorado and those parents that were beating up the baseball players in Colorado, no one mentioned the weed factor. They're probably all smoking weed in the morning and then they decided to build up, beat up each other over a baseball, Little League baseball game. So watch your weed consumption, people. Let's blame it on the weed. Okay. There you go, folks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Grace, peace, and mercy.